0: Uh, we're in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter four. Um, we, we see Nebuchadnezzar, uh, basically he's giving a prayer. He's big, be- giving a confession. He's be- he's, he's, he's blurting everything out. And if you don't know, Nebuchadnezzar is an evil King. There was an evil King. This is, this is how extreme it was. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar is Hitler that got saved. How would you like that? Like he was, he was probably worse. He is that bad, and then he comes into, I mean, frankly, a saving knowledge of, of of God before there even was a Jesus. He's like submitting. Well, he's having a hard time submitting because he is a king after all. But listen to what listen to what his prayer sounds like, and it sounds a lot like ours. This is. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to just going to skip around on it. But Daniel chapter four. Verse, uh, verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, laying on my bed, talking about my visions that God gave to me because I'm amazingly awesome king of Babylon. And then my amazing God came in and did this for me, and I had this incredible vision of God. And he could, it, the whole thing is all about him, me, my, and I. Like over and over and over and over again, and the interesting thing about it at the end of the prayer, um, like like he's, like he's probably saved, but he's still in process because he's still extremely selfish and self centered and egotistical, and yet he's, we'll just say we'll just call him a Christian because maybe that's more applicable to us, and yet he's a Christian. Do you know? Ego-driven, self-centered Christians. Yet, hang around us, you'll meet some. It is. I mean, it's just. It's human nature. By nature, we're selfish. By nature, it's all about us. It's. It's. By nature, we're introspective beings, and we have a very difficult time empathizing with other people, getting inside of other people's shoes. Um, If you're married, you know what that's like trying to figure out and get inside of your spouse's shoes and knowing how they feel and what's going on and what what's motivating them and you know their past history and stuff it's so it's so important that we begin to do this but again by nature we're, we're, we pray prayers like nebuchadnezzar but and in seven daniel prays a better prayer daniel is oh my gosh he's so cool like like He's amazing. We don't even have any of his garbage in the Bible. We have none of his junk. We have none of his failures. Like he didn't, as far as we know, he didn't mess up. And yet he confesses his sin to us in his prayer. And not only does that, when he prays, he prays, well, Lord, would you save us? God, we, re- we repent of our sin. God, would you come in and, and, and rescue us? So the language in and of itself has changed. And so I want to, like, we are to petition for God for our specific needs. We are to ask, but how does Jesus teach us to pray? Does he say, my God in heaven? It, it starts with our God in heaven. And so I, I, we're just, I'm going to push on us just to get the, the focus off of us, off of you, off of me, off of I. Get, get the focus off of that and get it onto us, my family. My relationship, not you know, how my wife is treating me it makes me feel so sad. Right? Do you see know what I'm saying? Because we're you know, Mako and I are a team. Trust me, we don't always act like a team. But when she submits to me and obeys my will, then we're doing really good, right? We <laughs> just we're in a good spot, you know. When she finally straightens up and does what I say. <laughs> okay. Okay, so here, I have a litmus test for us to figure out how selfish we really are. I, I got to, you know, well, I'm not really selfish, Josh. Well, let's do a little test. Let's figure Let's Let's do a, a little spiritual, you know, exercise right now. If you had 24 hours to live and your, your, your health is fine and everything is okay, like you're not crippled or anything, but, you know, you are your best version of you, but you know you only have 24 hours to live, what would you do? What would you do? Think about it. Just for what would you do if you only had 24 hours to go? Would you go rent a Lamborghini? See if you can get 200 on it. Would you go skydiving? Do we have any kids in here? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not saying this for shock value. I'm I'm saying it because it's going to apply to the message. But would you get yourself? a high-end male or female prostitute, right? You don't have to worry about STD or anything like that, but pleasure, right? Would you, would you take that opportunity to get, you know what, I'm going out, so I might as well go out having fun. Uh, would you party? Would you do drugs? Would you, I mean, would you try to find some fulfillment in the flesh before you go? Would you ask somebody for forgiveness before you go? Would you try to connect to a lost loved one or a family member? Would you make a, a, a monument to your achievement, achievements on the planet while you were here? Would you make sure that everybody knew how awesome of a person you were and, you know, you, you, you achieved this, you, you got this degree from this, and, and then you, you accomplished this in your career, and then you did all these amazing things? Would you begin to post all of your achievements on Facebook if you knew you were going soon so everybody knew how awesome your life was? Would you do that? Would you just spend time with, you know, your closest family? Or would you find a nice chapel somewhere to pray? Or maybe go up on a hill and overlook the city and pray. I don't know. What would you do? I don't know. I this. I'm I thinking about this, like, I don't know what I would. I mean, I, I would be with my family, of course. And it's an important thing to think about. Because in reality, it does highlight the affections of our heart. And what our heart is really attracted to. Whatever you answered in your mind, is going to highlight what is really important to you. What, you know, the affections of your heart. And we see it in Daniel chapter 5. Okay, so here's the real story. This is what I'm supposed to be talking about today until God messed up my sermon. All right, ready? Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles. And he drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, has taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And so... They brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. It would be like if we, uh, if somebody came in and stole our little plastic communion cups and started a party with them. It would take a very long time to get drunk, but that's kind of the idea. So, so they're taking holy elements, and they're they're they it's just, it's it's blasphemous, right? Very offensive. As they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, so what's the big deal? Kings have parties all the time, but this is a different type of a party. And this is where I get to really, like, you know, okay, I have a useless degree. I have a history degree. It's great at cocktail parties, and it's going to pay off right now, right? It's going to pay off big time right now. Because what we don't see is we don't see the historical context of what's going on, what the motivation is for this wild party. This is a crazy party. I mean, it, you might, again, we don't necessarily see it. But, okay, so, guys, uh, Belshazzar had wives, not just one wife, multiple wives, and he had concubines. And hopefully you do have an, oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. But you don't mix your wives and your girlfriends together. You do not party with your wives and your girlfriends. That's what a concubine is, by the way. And so, I mean, we know this in even ancient times. You don't do this. You don't let those, you don't, you, you keep your, you keep that type of lifestyle in, in compartments. You, you compartmentalize it. And so, Belshazzar is this, he's, this is crazy for him to put his wives and his concubines in the same room together, right? Remember what it was like when you had two of your girlfriends in the same room together? How well did that go over? And, and so, this is what's going on. And the very, I mean, and he takes the the plunder from Jerusalem from the temple, like um, by the way, if you're reading this, it says that Belshazzar is uh, nebuchadnezzar's son it 's not quite accurate it 's like his great great grandkid or something like that because uh, we're we 're twenty two years after nebuchadnezzar 's death um, the you know the evil king that got saved so this is a, this is' one of his descendants, and so the the kid he takes those holy objects and he defiles them. He takes that, that display, that symbolism of conquest, that symbolism of granddad's wealth, the, the, the symbolism of his family's lineage, his family's success, and he flaunts it. And he's, he's just he's, he's making a mockery of it. And at this time, he should know by now that the God of Israel is a good God, and yet he is, he is they're toasting. They're they're they in their own way. They're giving sacrifices to these other not even gods. It's gold, silver, iron, wood, and stone. These are the things that they're that they're toasting to. Like these things are awesome for us. Let's toast to these things. And from what we know from you know idolatry in the Bible, they, those things don't speak. And what it symbolizes, it symbolizes a, a, a worship of economy, a worship of finance, a worship of, of making it on your own. Uh, I mean, we even came out of the Stone Age at one time, right? We did it within our own abilities, and, and we, we made stone tools, and then we made wood tools, and then we became iron and bronze. and Like, we're amazing creatures. We've done amazing things within our own abilities, and we have the tendency to worship what we can do. We worship things and we build things in our own image. We're really good at it. And that's what, and that's what he's doing. And that's what he's worshiping. And, um, but what we don't see in the Bible, but what I know, because I'm a big history geek, and again, this is the payoff, is that 10 days prior to this giant wild party, the Persian army just destroyed the Babylonian army. 50 miles away. There is no army between the enemy and the hanging towers of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, one of the most powerful empires the world has ever seen. There is they there is a heavy dark cloud hanging over Belshazzar's head. He knows enough. His time is limited. That within days, maybe even 24 hours, most likely he is dead. And this is how he chooses to spend his last remaining hours on this planet. He throws a big, giant, wild party. Would you do that? This is what he does. Like, I mean, he knows enough. Like, they're not just going to vote him out of office. They're not just going to, you know, send him off to, you know club med somewhere to live out the rest of his days. No, no, no. They're going to kill him and they're going to kill him slowly and painfully. And they're going to make a big giant statement out of it. He knows he's going to be, he's facing the most difficult thing he's ever experienced his entire life. And this guy is partying. What do you think the motivation is for that? Like, I, we don't know. We just kind of have to guess is it like he just doesn't care so he's going to have a good time that could be that could be true it could be like his attitude could be like you know what you can't tell me what to do i'm going to do whatever i want i'm i'm okay like my gods are going to step in and they're going to rescue me and i don't need these i don't need this yahweh guy i don't need this hebrew god because I am the king, I am the God-man, and our gods are better than your gods. We don't know exactly what it is. But what we do know is that Nebuchadnezzar is a man that is plagued with pride. Enough pride that he's even apathetic towards his own demise, towards his own death. And death has a very powerful impact on, again, highlighting the things that are with within our heart. Now, do you see what he does? Do you see what like again it's like wow well, i don't think i would party but what what is really important to you do you see what's important to him it's like his ladies are important to him he's got them all in the same room together he's got his concubines and his wives do you ever see this uh, this is i'm going to geek out on you there's this art film called raise the red lantern Remember raise the red lantern it's so it's so cool it's a Chinese film, so you have to read subtitles if you want to watch it, so that probably disqualified half of you right there um <laughs> but the idea is is that you know you've got this guy this this you know this chinese uh emperor he's got of all these wives got multiple wives, and um uh, like they literally kill each other like they're so competitive like whoever gets to sleep with the emperor gets to run the castle and so like, it's like it's a toxic thing to have more than one wife. It's a toxic thing to have wives and concubines. I mean, so you get the picture, right? But he doesn't care. He's like, here's all my ladies. Just think about the rappers that have all their ladies in the hot tub with them. It's that type of mentality. It's like, look look what I can do. Look at, <laughs> I made somebody laugh. Look at, look what I can do. And then, you see the affections are for this the meaning of life, the significance of life, for most of us, again, we're judging the party, right? And we're judging this guy that has all these ladies. But the impulse, right, is, is a romantic one. Even though his, 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 uh, his, uh, his expression of this need that he has... This romantic need is all blown out of proportion because he's got all these ladies on him. But it's the very same need and desire that that we have inside of us. And sometimes it really, really messes us up in that if we put our hope and our identity and our significance into notions of romance... If we pull the dumb Jerry Maguire move, and if we think that we will be fulfilled by somebody else's love towards us, I got some really bad news for you. It ain't going to work, right? Right, honey? <laughs> it doesn't because we're human. We're going to let each other down. But there is this, there's this divine connection, almost like a divine spiritual uh, lie that says if you connect with an individual, then you will finally find fulfillment. And it's just not true. Fulfillment comes from the Lord only. Belshazzar doesn't have the Lord. He's got ladies. What's the other trap? The other trap is the it's the What can I do with my own abilities? What can I do? What wealth can I build? This materialism, that's why he's parading the gold. That's why he's he's bringing out all of the objects of great granddad's conquests. He says, look what we can do. Look what we have accomplished. And so here is my accomplishments, and I'm putting them on display, and we're going to party with them. And so this is where I find my identity. This is where I find the significance. And we do the same thing here and now. Look at the look at the cool car I drive, look at you know look at the degree I've got, look at the promotion I'm getting and it's all again it all turns inward it's all about me and all about I and all about that expression and uh it really comes out when you're faced with the inevitability of the end of your life. And then he does something you know the the very you know offering the sacker offering you know toasting to the gods because The other impulse that we all have when we're faced with the end is that connection to something beyond the grave, a religious experience. And the religious experience can be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. Our church is, our tagline for our church is relationship, not religion, right? Because we know that religion is mean, it's controlling, it's manipulative, it's divisive. And it says that if you are a good boy and if you are a good girl, then you're going to earn God's love. And that's just a lie from the pit of hell. We have God's love unconditionally. The only thing that we can do to make God happy or to please God or to get God's favor is just to increase our faith. And he's cheering us along. He wants us to be wants us to continue to walk in faith, to stretch that faith muscle as best we can that's the only way that we please God we don't please God by doing good deeds good deeds flow out of our ability to believe to actually believe this stuff to actually believe it I'm on a bird trail real quick is it a bird trail is that what they're called rabbit trail, rabbit trail. bird walk um, this story oh let me let me read the next part of it. Do you know what happens next after this big giant wild party? Okay, verse five. Suddenly, the finger of a hand uh, of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king was watching the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and there was no and there was. And he was so frightened that his knees locked together and his legs gave way. The dude passed out. Keep in mind, he's 24 hours away from somebody dismembering him and torturing him slowly. But this makes him scared. This makes him pass out. The king called out for the enchanters, the astrologers, and the divinators to be brought in so that the wise wise men of Babylon. So he calls upon the experts, kind of like what CNN and Fox News does when they can't figure out what in the world is going on. They call in the experts. Let's get the political advisors in here and cultural people. and They'll tell us what's going on. The king called out the enchantment. Okay, and he says, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will, will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around this neck, and he will be made, the, ready for this, the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Interesting. Who's going to be the number one ruler in the kingdom? Who is he? He's uh, Belshazzar, right? So who's number two? Do we know? We don't know. But number three is who's going to be whoever reads this writing. Of course, I'm, you know, it's Daniel. Then the king and the wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became more terrified, and his face grew more pale, and his nobles were baffled. Okay, so this is a great story. Have you ever heard of the term, the writing is on the wall, the handwriting is on the wall? This is where we literally get that term that we use in our vernacular, in our English vernacular. Handwriting's on the wall. It's over with. It's done for. Uh, it's only a matter of time before the whole thing unravels. We can read the writing on the wall. That's what's going on. Uh, this little story uh, for, this is where we're going to rabbit trail here because this is important, I believe, in the authority of the scripture. Uh, for years, uh, Bible critics have said that the Old Testament is all myth. The story of Daniel's in the lion, lion's den, it's, all like, it's like an Aesop fable. It's all made up. The fiery furnace, same thing. Some, you know, some writer made up this really cute story to scare kids into reading their Bible. And they, they said, and this one they definitely have said that too, like this handwriting on the wall thing, made up fairy tale. Why? Is because there is no Belshazzar. For years, in the chronological record, the extra biblical sources says there is no Belshazzar. So therefore, the Bible's all false. Guess what we found we found an inscription of King Belshazzar. Archaeologists dug it up. Like, uh-oh, what are we going to do with this? I guess we could either hide it or I guess the Bible's true on this one. And so this is, this is the actual literal story. Belshazzar is technically not a king. He's the prince. Because his dad lost his marbles and ran off half naked into the desert. And so the kid took over. So technically, his dad is the number one. Belshazzar is the number two, and Daniel will become the number three. Isn't that amazing? None of the doubt. Daniel is so full of stuff that it's just extremely accurate. It's so scary. Uh, this is uh, these stories happened between uh, 600 to 5 you know 50 BC, and so that's when we believe that it was written down. And yet, Daniel's prophecies are so accurate and detailed that Bible people think that, oh, it was written 100 B.C. And we don't know what to do about the Roman Empire that he predicts because that's kind of problematic because we have, we have primary sources that, that predate that. So we'll just say that that's coincidence. So how he predicts the Roman Empire, that's all coincidence. That's how they chalk it up. Oh, this whole thing, how he predicts Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on the day of Palm Sunday. That's coincidence, too. That's how they do it, folks. Anyway, so that, that, so we should believe this stuff. I mean, it validates itself, but, but more so, man, you should just get into the presence of God and know that it's real. Like, you feel his sweet presence. You're like, what is this? I mean, even look at... Um, Okay, look at Belshazzar's reaction. Like, the guy's gonna die, and he knows he's, he's gonna die. And so, his, and we'll, let's have a party. That's his thing. I don't know what your thing, but that's his thing. But when he gets into the presence of God, his knees buckle, and, he, and, and he's like, it's, the, it's, the, it's called the fear of the Lord. He experiences the fear of the Lord. There's something of, see, so we all have a spirit. There's something about his spirit that is like, oh my gosh this thing is real and he's terrified and, and and the blood runs out of his face. And this is what is said on the wall. These are the actual, this is the actual writing. Mene, mene, tekel parson, mene, mene, tekel parson. It's like these magic words that nobody could read. Nobody could understand the language. Maybe it was Hebrew. I don't, we don't know, but it's like, you know, Mecca, Mecca, hi, Mecca, Heidi, It's like, what in the world? And this is, this is what it translates. This is Mene. It's like, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Tekel, you have been placed on life scale. And you have, you have been found wanting. You've you've partied way too hard. You've had way too many girlfriends and wives. You've not, you you've you rejected all of the the good things that great granddad did. You 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 knew the truth and you rejected it. So you've been found wanting, and Parson or, or Paris, uh, you're dead. <laughs> So basically, Daniel walks in. He's like a cool cat, by the way. He's like nothing really rattles Daniel. He walks in. He's like you know you know he's like stepping over you know drunk people and you know like it's like like he's crashing the party, right? He's he's a, he is like the ultimate party crasher. He walks in. He's like whoa, okay, um, woo, um, and he walks in and he just he's like, oh, many many Teagle Parson, and he looks over to Belshazzar. He's like, dude, you're screwed. That's it. You're done for, man. You are done for. And then he opens the wound a little bit more, pours salt, and then he pours lemon juice into it. And this is what he says. O king, this is verse 18. O king, most high God. The most high God gave... Your father, Nebuchadnezzar, not literally father, great-great-grandfather, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor because of the high position he gave him. Where did Nebuchadnezzar get his power? Who gave it to him? God did. Wrap your head around that one. All the peoples and all the nations and men in every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death... He put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with what? With what? With pride. He was deposed. And right now, he is a believer, folks. He was deposed from his throne. Stripped of his glory, he was driven away from his people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys and he ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign. You know what that means? He's in control. Nebuchadnezzar is not in control. He is. God's in control. He is a sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his spoiled great-great-great-grandkid, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Do you see what's going on? It's like, you know, you knew better, dude. You knew all of this. It was modeled to you. It was taught to you. Uh, Great-grandpa made you go to Sunday school, and yet you chose to defile the communion elements. You chose party over the chapel. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And your nobles and your wives and your concubines, and they drank from, the, from them, you praised the God of the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds you in his hand, who holds your life in his hand. Therefore he sent this inscription to you. And he tries to pay him off. Daniel says something very interesting. He says, um, uh, I don't want your gold and I don't want your money. Because you sent in, hopefully you get this, Belshazzar, you sent in your advisors, you sent in the experts to try to interpret what was written on the wall, and they couldn't do it. And you know why they couldn't do it? It's because it's God's word, and you were too dense to understand that that was God's revelation. I can't, this is, Belch, this, is, this is Daniel talking, I can't take money for this because this wasn't this information, this knowledge was not given from man. This was given from God to man. And he didn't get it. And he says, anyway, I've already served a bunch of kings and you're just like one of the last. So I've been there, done that. I don't need your money. I don't need the prestige. I don't need to be number three, number two, or number one. I am completely confident in who I am and God. That's what he's saying. I said, dude, if you only would focus on God's written word, you would have been okay. If you only would have submitted yourself instead of, you know, following the desire, the desires of your heart. Right. You hear this in our culture, right? Just follow your heart. Just follow the desires of your heart. You know, what Proverbs says about the desires of our heart. It says that our, the desires of our heart are desperately wicked. They're going to want a false, uh, uh sensuality, a false romance. That's what our desires of our heart want. Desires of our heart are going to want more wealth. Where's the root of all evil come from? The love of money. And that's what he loved. He loved the love of money. But probably the biggest hiccup out of them all is pride. And so when we begin to, sit, when we begin to re- live a religious life that says, okay, God, I did this and therefore you owe me, that's Pride. God, this bad thing happened to me, so therefore you owe me a good thing. That's pride, it's manipulation. You begin to manipulate God, you're functioning in a religious spirit. It ain't good. I think what is most interesting to me in this story is is his response when he sees this spectre of a hand begin to write, right? Like the dude passes out. He's probably for the first time he experiences the presence of God and his body can't handle it. Again, Daniel walks in. He's like, he reads the wall, right? Just like Daniel has always done. The whole situation with the fiery furnace, although he wasn't put in, like he was involved, he didn't freak out. Daniel didn't freak out there. When Daniel was put under this huge amount of pressure to interpret the king's dream, Nebuchadnezzar, like, like Adolf Hitler, like, okay, you have to interpret my dream. Not only do you have to interpret it, you have to actually tell me what I dreamed. And Daniel doesn't lose it. He's like, so cool. He's like, all right, Lord. All right, guys, let's hit our knees. Let's pray. Let's just see what God does. Like, there's this peace and there's this calm. Like, he faces this and he faces these dreams and he, he comes out on top. Like, he gets thrown in the lion's den. He doesn't tell us that he was freaking out. Like, you and I, if we face these things that Daniel had to face, we would be freaking out, right? Would, Would we not? Unless you're, like, the lion whisperer or something. Like, you'd just be freaking out. And yet he doesn't do it. And he's got this consistent history of just being solid and being steady because he's always been grounded in the word. He knows what the word of God says and he's confident in that. He's he's getting letters from Jeremiah. And he's confident in, in Jeremiah's letters and Jeremiah's prophecies. And he's beginning to, to teach these kids. But okay. So there's two groups that I want to talk to today. There's like there's the Belshazzars. The Belshazzars. Like Like if if this is your last 24 hours, folks, don't, don't do, don't do what he did. Don't party because the writing's on the wall and it says, dude, you're screwed. God, my God, choose Jesus today. Just do it. Like we don't need to do an altar call. You just need to have him come into your heart right now. Yeah. My God, there's a better way. And then the other audience is our Daniels, which is most of us. We have walked through so much. We've been so steady. We've been so on point. We've been so faithful. This church is a church for saints. We put you on display. God likes to see what you can do. And we're all very cool cats. But there's moments. There's always more where our knees buckle to. We get into the presence of God and that fear of the Lord. Like if you're walking with the Lord, the fear of the Lord is actually a really cool thing and it feels really good. Like you're not scared of hellfire. You're like, what? And I'm telling you, saints, there's more. There's more of that. You Like I was talking with a guy that's only been saved for a year uh, this week. And he's like, you know what? I was like one of those... I know he was only saved for about a year because his language was really interesting. But he said, he said, I just thought all as Christians were all shallow. And like the whole concept of Christianity was weak and just, you know, very simple for simple minded people. And he says, then I, you know, I messed around. I got saved. I, I read mere Christianity. And then, um, like, like this rabbit hole goes down deep. Like it like I don't I cannot get my head around how complex and how intricate grace is and the, the saving work that God, like I'm like I can't get enough of it and this is that needs to be the condition of our, our heart those of us that have been walking I I want to make sure that my heart always stays this soft like that I can't get enough of it like there's more that I can always learn there's there's other dimensions of Jesus I was looking I look at the mountains yesterday it's like okay. When you're really close to the mountain, you only see one side of it. And when you're really close, you can't even see how high up it goes. So we just need to change our spiritual perspective every once in a while just to see how big and how vast, how deep and how wide God's love is for us. And it should be captivating to us. Let's just look what happens to Daniel. Like the, like the cool cat, the guy that, that, that he cannot be rattled by kings. He stands before the most wicked men that have ever lived on the planet, and he is not shaken. He is in a deep, dark pit with lions. And as far as we know, he's not scared. This is Daniel chapter 10. Verse one. Oh yeah, by the way, he served at least four kings and in two empires, two world empires. Verse one. In the third year, chapter 10, verse one. In the third year of Cyrus... Uh, incidentally, Cyrus restored uh, the temple and rebuilt it with his own pagan money. Isn't that cool? Let's pray that God give us some pagan money to build stuff. Amen. It's still it's green, right? It doesn't matter if it's anyway money. Anyway, all right. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, revelation was given to Daniel. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understand uh, next week, we'll do in time prophecy. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision at that time. I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat nor wine. No wine touched my lips and I didn't go to Bath and Body Works at that time until three weeks were over on the fourth On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the banks of the great river, the Tigris. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold around his waist. His body was like crystallite and his face was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches and his arms and his legs like the gleaming of a burnishing bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Same type of language. Almost word for word comes up in Revelation. The voice sounds like a rushing water, as, it, as John describes it. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me, they didn't see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and they hid themselves. Kind of like what happened to Paul in Damascus Road. So I was left alone, gazing at This great vision and I had no strength left in me. My face turned deathly pale just like Belshazzar and I was helpless and then I heard him speaking. And as as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep. The dude passes out my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. That's for us, everybody. For I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding. You ready for this part? This is not fun, everybody. And to... Ready? Humble. Humble yourselves before your God. To strip out your pride. To strip out your bitterness. To strip out your, uh, your, your, your right to be right. I have come in response to them. See, this is the difference between the two hands. When we humble ourselves and we put our mind to gaining understanding and truth, when we're dedicated to God's word, a hand will come. When we're in the midst of our brokenness, when we're in the midst of despair, when we're, we've got that dark cloud on the horizon, when the enemy is at our gates, when we've been walking with the Lord, the hand comes, not to write something on a wall saying, <laughs> Right? The hand comes to encourage us to stand up in God's truth. To encourage us to say, keep on going, you can do it. To encourage us to say, don't give up, I am with you. I have always been with you. I I was with your friends in the fire, I was with you in the darkness, I was with you in the dream seasons. I was with you through, through four kings and two empires. I'm going to be with you again. And you get the opportunity to feel my glory pulsate through your body. And this fear of the Lord is a good thing because that's where wisdom and knowledge really comes from. And it's exciting. The fear of the Lord is really exciting. Unless you've been partying with concubines and getting drunk on communion wine and making monuments to yourself. All right, let me get the band to come on up. I talked too long, didn't I? I'm so sorry. You guys okay? Let oh. you stand. Thank you, God, right now for your presence. And God, may we, um, may we just continue to be like Daniel, walk in your strength, stand in your truth. God, may we feel your finger on our hearts, on our shoulders. On our eyes as we're weeping and crying, God, may we feel your finger in our physical bodies when we need a healing, when we need a restoration, when we need, when we, when we need a touch from you, God. May we just continue just to walk in your truth. And God, that encounter that Daniel has, that realization that this is real, that the thing that we've dedicated our lives to is real. We can prove it through archaeology, but more importantly, we can prove it by being in your presence. So God, thank you so much for your, your loving hand on our hearts today. And God, for those that uh, need to surrender to your will, where they want to be a Nebuchadnezzar and not a Belshazzar, God, I pray you just draw them gently right now to your cross, for the good work that you've done. Thank you so much for their salvation. We pray for more. In your name, Lord Jesus.